How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. We tend to think of the Old Testament prophets as delivering a message from God to God's Old Testament people, Israel. But the prophets also had something to say, or God had something to say through the prophets to the other nations, to the Gentile nations. That's really the entire subject of a center section of the prophet Isaiah. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to begin a series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. Dr. Paul Robbie joins us. He's Professor Emeritus of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary, author of The Issues Etc., Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. Dr. Robbie, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. Who was this man, the prophet Isaiah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great question. So his name in Hebrew is uh, Yeshayah. Or also uh, Yeshayahu, it's spelled both ways. You think of Netanyahu, that Yahu on the end is an abbreviation of Yahweh. And then the first part of the word of the name is a verb. So uh, Netanyahu is Yahweh has given. And Yeshayahu or Yeshayah is Yahweh has saved. So that's what his name means. In Hebrew, all names mean something. That's why it's always fun to study, you know, what does the name mean? And, uh, of course, the name Jesus is short for uh, Yehoshua, and uh, that means Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name means. And that's how uh, Matthew 1 and the angel can say to Joseph, you will name him Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. So in Hebrew, the connection works. In English, it doesn't. In English, we say, Jesus, for he will save. And and English hearers wonder, well, what's the connection? It works in Hebrew. So Isaiah, Yeshayah, and then Ben Amot, son of Amot. So in the Old Testament, they would typically identify. There were a lot of Isaiahs, but this one was the son of Amot. So he was called to be a prophet. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 6, that very famous chapter. This took place in the year King Uzziah died. The book wants us to correlate the book with the book of First and Second Kings and the kings of Jerusalem. And Uzziah died in 740 B.C. Of course, we read the account, this famous account then in chapter 6, Isaiah saw God and heard the seraphim uh, shouting antiphonally, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. And uh, Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then the seraph takes a coal from the atoning altar and touches Isaiah's mouth, connects Isaiah with the atonement. 
and gives him absolution. Your sins are forgiven. And now with cleansed lips, Isaiah is ready now to be God's prophet. So God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The us would be the Trinity, the holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah eagerly volunteers, here am I, send me. So he was called to be God's prophet in 740 BC. He worked in Jerusalem. He would typically talk to the king. We read about how he had to deal with King Ahaz in chapters 7 and 8. And then we read about how he had to deal with King Hezekiah in chapters 36 to 39. So he, one audience would be the king, the palace, and his advisors. Another audience would be the people of Jerusalem and Israel who were gathered there at the temple. And then a third audience would be Jerusalem was a very cosmopolitan town. It wasn't some podunk nowhere small town. It was a major city. And they'd have a lot of visitors from other nations, ambassadors from other kings. We even read about some of this in some of the chapters. So I submit that a third audience would be these Gentiles who were visiting Jerusalem. Isaiah would speak to them as well. So those were that's what he was doing. He was a preacher. He was an orator, a public speaker. He would talk to uh, the people in Jerusalem. How long did he live? The last date given in the book is given in chapter 37, and it refers to the assassination of King Sennacherib as a historical note. And we know from history that this assassination took place in 681 B.C. So it depends on who the author is of chapter 37. Those same chapters occur in Second Kings. You could say, well, the author of Kings is the author and Isaiah reused it, or Isaiah is the author and Kings reused it. I like the latter. I think Isaiah was the author, and the author of Kings simply reused the narrative from Isaiah. And in that case, then, I submit that Isaiah died after like 680. So that his public ministry was basically 740 to 680 B.C. in Jerusalem. And history tells us he was sawed in half under King Manasseh. He was martyred. The Old Testament prophets were constantly being persecuted. Manasseh, you know, put the great mighty seer of old to death. Unbelievable, really. So that would be, I say, a prophet in Jerusalem during the 700s. He is often called the fifth evangelist, or his book is called The Gospel in the Old Testament. Why is that? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So it's typically called the fifth gospel, and uh, rightly so, because so much of this book is picked up in the New Testament. One thinks of, for example, uh, Isaiah 53, the great suffering servant passage. Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted that at Nazareth in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news, to declare the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom. And Jesus is this person of Isaiah 61. 
chapter 7, uh, his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us, a virgin will conceive, bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Chapter 9, he'll be this uh, Davidic king, the prince with the fourfold name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Chapter 11, the Messiah, the Spirit will anoint him and he will uh, carry out righteousness and establish peace, and the Gentiles will come to him. All kinds of passages in the uh, book that are gospel. Even at the end of the book, it takes us to the ultimate end. God, through Isaiah, says that he will one day create a new heavens, a new earth. So uh, it's rightly called the fifth gospel. The uh, commentary that you've completed covers chapters 13 through 27 of Isaiah. What sets those chapters apart as a unit in this long prophetic book? What will we be covering? These chapters deal with the Gentile nations, the nations that were surrounding the ancient people of Israel. So the Holy One of Israel, the God of Israel, he made Israel his chosen people, and, uh, but they were surrounded by the Gentiles. And the God of Israel also has things to say to the Gentiles and what's to come. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the Lord over all. And ultimately, as we're going to see, his ultimate goal was to bring salvation to the Gentiles as well. These chapters deal mostly with the Gentiles. What's interesting, though, is chapter 17 deals with northern Israel, and chapter 22 deals with Jerusalem. So Isaiah was kind of grouping the people of God into the category of the Gentiles. They wanted to be like the Gentiles, so Isaiah puts them into the same category. They're under the judgment of God, just like the Gentiles. What would you say is generally the message that God delivers to these Gentile nations? Well, so it's a two-stage. First of all, Isaiah, like the other prophets, announces the future actions of God. Here's what the God of Israel, who's the true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, here's what he's about to do. And these actions of God were not discernible by human reason or political calculation. So God sent Isaiah to proclaim it. It's the word of God. And what was God going to do? It's basically a two-stage process. First, God is going to wreak judgment and destruction on the nations. He's going to condemn the nations, sentence the nations to death. They're going to cease being these autonomous nations. And God is going to do that by using his weapon. And at the time of Isaiah, his weapon was the kingdom of Assyria. I'll talk about that in a second. So God is going to bring down the nations, but that's only the first stage. The second stage is, and then God is going to uh, bring the defeated, humiliated nations to himself to Zion, to his dwelling place, so that ultimately God's plan is to bring the nations to himself where there is salvation. So it's first he has to kind of do his strange work of destroying the old in order to do his proper work of building up 
and saving. We're beginning a series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. When we come back, we will turn to God's first oracle to the Gentile nations against Babylon. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Looking for a faithful Lutheran church in East Central Oklahoma? Welcome to Trinity Okmulgee, a friendly and faithful LCMS congregation only 40 miles south of Tulsa. Hi, this is Pastor Chris Teebs. Check us out at trinityokmulgee.org. That's trinity, O-K-M-U-L-G-E-E, all one word, dot org. See you soon at Trinity Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Concordia Lutheran, Geneseo, Illinois. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Marshall, Minnesota. Emmanuel Lutheran, Bosher City, Louisiana. Memorial Lutheran, Houston, Texas. Our Savior Lutheran, Milford, Illinois. Redeemer Lutheran, Lawrence, Kansas. St. John Lutheran, Mayville, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Long Beach, California, Trinity Lutheran, Milstadt, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran, Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast at our website, and in the Issues Etc. Journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We are walking through Isaiah chapters 13 through 27 with Dr. Paul Robbie. He's author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month of February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. 
Dr. Robbie, the first oracle against the Gentile nations is Babylon. What was Babylon as a Gentile nation? What was Isaiah's message? So Babylon at the time of Isaiah was the glory capital of the world. They had this long, prestigious history. They were kind of the glory center of the world. They were not yet the political center. The political center, the political power was ancient Assyria. So Babylon was kind of, was not the Washington, D.C. of the world, but it was more like the Paris of the world, this glory capital, New York, Paris. And when the king of Babylon sent visitors to Jerusalem, it's recorded in chapter 39, King Hezekiah wanted to impress them and show them all of his... uh, wealth, uh, trying to impress these city slickers from New York and Paris. So it was the glory capital of the world, and God announces in chapter 13 that God is going to utterly bring humiliation to the glory capital, bring it down, change the city into rubble, make it a place where uh, desert creatures are going to inhabit. So this is one of Isaiah's common messages. God is going to deflate the proud and lofty and bring them down. So he warns them of the day of the Lord. What does that mean in Isaiah's context? So there's coming this day of the Lord. It's against all the wicked, all sinners, all the proud, all the arrogant. And one specific instance in Isaiah's time would be the city of Babylon. But it's that destruction of the city of Babylon was simply a foretaste, a preview of this ultimate judgment day against all the wicked and all the proud. So it's the coming day of the Lord, and it's coming with God's wrath against sinners. That's what Isaiah emphasizes right off the bat in chapter 13. He also emphasizes the same thing in chapter 24. In chapter 14, he he connects the humiliation of Babylon via Assyria with the salvation of Judah. Talk about that. So Isaiah liked to juxtapose contrasts. So the glory capital of the world, the kingdoms of the world have no future, but God's people have a future. So in contrast, God will restore his people Israel. Isaiah assumes what he said in chapter 39, that one day Babylon will take Jerusalem into exile, and then Isaiah announces the follow-up. But then God will uh, eliminate Babylon and bring the exiles of Israel back, restore them back to their land, and they'll have a future. So it's kind of uh, judgment against Babylon, salvation for Israel. How does God fulfill this threat of judgment against Babylon? Do we actually see it happen in history? Yes, yes, exactly. So typically the prophet would just kind of announce the end game, the final end, but God would bring about that end game in stages. So already in Isaiah's day, Assyria destroyed Babylon several times. One time would be 703 B.C., Another time would be 700 B.C. Another time was 689 B.C. So all three of them happened already during the days of Isaiah. Assyria was constantly harassed by Babylon, and so they 
They they attack Babylon. Babylon is a city on the lower part of the Euphrates, near the Persian Gulf. Actually, the ruins there are near uh, Baghdad, in the uh, land of Iraq is where you'll find it. Archaeologists dug it up. But those only were preliminary. Ultimately, Babylon then became final ruins under a later Assyrian king. And then Cyrus, the king of Persia, took over the empire and the Babylonian empire ended. And that's when the Persian empire took over. And now they're just ruins. Why is Babylon brought forward and this kind of language brought forward into the book of Revelation where we again meet the great Babylon. Yeah, exactly. So ancient Babylon was kind of your classic example of human pride and arrogance. That goes back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Babel is Babylon, thinking they can build a tower up into heaven and make themselves equal with God. Isaiah chapter 14 pictures the king of Babylon thinking this way, that he can make himself equal with God, with the most high God in his pantheon way of thinking. So it was always kind of the arrogant capital of the world, the center of human glory and glamour, and the whole world honored it, revered it. The book of Revelation uses it that way as just kind of a example of the kingdoms of the world in their pride and arrogance and autonomy and self-aggrandizing and seeking self-power and self-assertion and self-security. All the things that characterize the kingdoms of the world crystallize in Babylon as kind of your classic example. Dr. Paul Robbie is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary. He's author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. You can purchase this new Concordia Commentary on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Ask for The Issues Etc., a book of the month, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27 by Dr. Paul Robbie. Dr. Robbie, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been real great to chat with you. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the Gospel reading in Luke 8, where Jesus heals a blind beggar. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Trinity Orchard Farm is settled between two rivers showing the way to the water of life. For worship that is reverent, relevant, and refreshing like pure water, or for excellent education in a unique setting, check out our church and school.
We're just five miles north of Highway 370 on Highway 94 in St. Charles County. Visit us on the web at trinityorchardfarm.com. That's trinityorchardfarm.com. Our phone number is 636-250-3350. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.